For our scripture reading this morning, one of them, the first of them, we have some of the most ancient words ever spoken, and the first words that ever were spoken about humanity. They're the words, the very words of God. Genesis 1, chapter 26 through 28 is our first reading. It's found on page 2 of your pew Bibles, and I'd encourage you to follow along. Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our next scripture reading is found in the book of Romans. That's page 1097 in your pew Bibles, 1097, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28 and reading through verse 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30, page 1097 in your pew Bibles. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And turning two pages over to page 1100, we continue in Romans. This is chapter 11, starting in verse 36, the last verse of Romans 11, continuing into Romans 12, up to verse 3. Page 1100. For from him and through him and to him, are all things. To him be glory, the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. And finally, turning over to page 1140, this is Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, page 1140 in your pew Bibles. Philippians 3, 17, to the end of the chapter, that is verse 21. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, from the most ancient of, the, of words to words that were spoken through your servant much later, but still long ago to us, you speak things that are almost too good to be true, that you have made us in your image and likeness, and that you will transform our lowly bodies to be like Christ the risen Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. May it happen and happen soon. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Yuri. As many of you will know, John Piper is one of my favorite writing pastor-preacher types. I even consider him, if it makes any sense to do so, as a mentor from afar whom I never met personally. Among the many books that he's written, his book on the biblical Christian call and the church's vocation for global missions is surely one of his best and most well-received. Here it is in its third edition. I need to keep all my ducks in a row. Normally I don't have any ducks. Um, This is uh, Let the Nations Be Glad, the Supremacy of God in Missions. And if I commended one missions resource to you, this would be it. There are many others, but none more biblical or compelling, from my point of view, than this, I would say. And right from the top, in the first lines on the first page of the first chapter, entitled The Supremacy of God and Missions Through Worship, Pastor John Piper writes what is by now an oft-repeated and very well-known, perhaps the best-known-of-our-day summary of missions. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Then he goes on. 
Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Now, as good as that is, and it is very good, it's also very true, I'd like to hazard an enhancement to Piper's statement on ultimate things, including worship being ultimate and missions, along with everything else that we might do, not, because all else will eventually cease. But we began to make the clear biblical case last Sunday that our identity as human beings and our identity as Christians, little Christs, that's the term in Scripture, are also ultimate because God in Christ Jesus, in whose image we're created, is eternal and doesn't change. From the beginning, God created all human beings uniquely and distinctly to image him to bear his likeness and to represent him on the earth. Now, I, I, I know that some English folks, speaking folks and people who love the English language will maybe be a little persnickety and say, you can't say uniquely and distinctly. That's redundant. Here's what I mean. Human beings are created unique among all other creatures of God's creation, but human beings are not all created alike. We're distinct from each other. Even if you're a twin, you're distinct from your... Your twin, it may not be obvious to many people, but it's obvious to the two of you, you're not the same person. So human beings are created uniquely to image God, to bear his likeness on the earth and to represent him on the earth. But we're also, each one of us and each people group and each church are distinct from the others. So that's what I mean. I'm not being redundant. I actually mean both things, uniquely and distinctly. And since sin came and death because of sin, Jesus came to restore our imaging ability. We lost some of our ability to image God because of sin. Sin gets in the way. Sin, I, I don't believe as some do that, that the image of God was destroyed in humanity so that we can never, ever do anything like image him in any sense. I don't believe that's true. I tend toward the other pole, which says the image of God was marred, was in some way disshapen, disfigured in humanity, and we need to have that fixed, reclaimed, restored. Imaging God and bearing his likeness are and will forever be equally fundamental and equally ultimate for all human beings. And for those human beings who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and whose identity is being renewed in him... We will only increasingly image God and increasingly bear his likeness throughout all eternity as we are increasingly transformed into his image. Now, I want you to hold that very good, very biblical, very Christian thought and return with me to last week's text and truth. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26, 27, 
and 28. Now, I don't know about your Bibles. I don't know what's going on out there, but, but my Genesis chapter 1 is on page 1. I don't know why it's on page 2 in the few Bibles. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what's going on there. But um, that makes so much more sense to me. And the, the truth that we were looking at last week is that every human being derives our true and eternal identity from our one and only creator. That was what we kind of looked at last week. That was our our central truth. Every human being, that means you, that means me, that means every one of your children, every one of your grandchildren, every one of your friends, every one of your spouses, every person that, you, that, that followed follow you in lineage, everyone that led up to you, every person who ever walked the earth, every single human being derives our true and eternal identity from our one and only creator. And that doesn't mean that we recognize that or realize it. It's true whether we agree with it. Why? Because the Bible says so. Sometimes that really is the answer. Let's look at that most important yet clearest of biblical truths, that if we believe in the one true living and triune God in Christ Jesus, and if we trust his pure word, these three verses could and should literally revolutionize our view of ourselves, our view of each other, our view of every human being we ever meet, even our view of the world we live in, because we will find our place in it as stewards. Then God said... Let us make man in our image. So I won't spend a whole lot of time here. I just want to repeat what I shared with you last week that I've repeated before in a number of venues. I'm, I'm entranced by these references to God that we're seeing. They're just speaking to me in ways that are, are surprising, actually, that I didn't ever experience before in my life. And I see God saying to us here in his reference to himself as, as Elohim, which means gods, literally, plural, gods. It's the same exact word as the gods of the nations. Later on we read about the, foreign, the false gods of the foreigners. Same word, but the difference is when it applies to the one true and living God of Israel, it's, it's a plural subject, but it has a singular verb. And that's just incredible to me. Here is probably, from my point of view, looking at it through the lens of the New Testament, Here is the triune God, the the Trinity, speaking to us about who he is. And even in our creation, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there and working together. A singular verb in unbelievably unhindered unity in this work. Not only then, but throughout all eternity. Though they are three in one, they work together perfectly as if it's one person. And then the the personal pronouns, he, his, him, not they, not them, not there, he, his, and him, singular references. Well, that's all I'll say about that today. Just because as preachers, we have to come to understand, don't we, Bill, that What's interesting to us is not necessarily interesting to everybody. And so we share it once or twice, maybe three times, and we better move on because, you know, it's going to be, what's that word? Redundant. Yeah. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we say that every human being derives our true and eternal identity from our one and only creator, and he creates us to bear his image, bear his likeness, represent him on the earth in our place and time. So that's the introduction, end end of introduction. Now we move into a a part that I call, it's it's on my manuscript every week, though I don't normally bring, bring attention to it, applying the truth of God's word to our lives and ministries today. That's just to remind me that you know, we have to get out of the theology and get into the application because I'd live in the theology all day long, every, every day if I could. So for the rest of this message, I'll argue from the text of Holy Scripture that this is the most vital. It's the clearest. And it's the most compelling statement of our purpose as human beings in Christ Jesus. We image him We bear his likeness, and we represent him on the earth, and I like to say it this way, in our place and time, because that's all we have. We don't have somebody else's place and somebody else's time. We have our place and our time, however long the Lord gives us strength, however long the Lord gives us to be here together. And further, if we understood and accepted this fundamental truth about our identity, our experience of the Christian faith, and our effectiveness in biblical ministry would be greatly enhanced. I believe that with everything in me. This leads us to the central truth of our message for this morning. I gave you a little bit of a preview last week, but here it is. Jesus Christ came both to save us from condemnation, judgment, and death. That's probably quite familiar to us. We, as an evangelical congregation, we understand that. We agree with that. We, we, we believe that. But and he came to reclaim and restore us as God's true image-bearing representatives on the earth. And that's the part I want to work with today. Jesus Christ came both to save us from condemnation, judgment, and death, which he did, and to reclaim and restore us as God's true image-bearing representatives on the earth. This unique and remarkable message This most basic and clear biblical Christian truth goes right against the grain and the flow, and increasingly so of virtually everything our contemporary culture is trying to convince us of or our educational institutions are teaching our children. This is especially true when it comes to who we are as human beings, namely that you, your children, and every human being you ever knew or who ever lived on this earth are nothing more than high-functioning animals that came into being by a series of highly unlikely, thoroughly improbable, random cosmic accidents. One atheistic evolutionary biologist even characterized it as, I'm quoting here now, something like a miracle had to have happened. Something like a miracle? 
It's usually good to hear from C.S. Lewis on any number of topics, including this one. Look what dropped literally into my lap yesterday when I was working on this message. Can you read that there? It says, it's C.S. Lewis, and then it says, When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. I don't know why, but that gets truer and truer and truer, it seems to me. When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. I say again, you are not an accident. Neither were your children, and neither will be their children after them. Even if your parents were surprised by your arrival... Or you were surprised by your children's arrival and did not intend it. God was not surprised. He ordained it and created them in his own image. You were not an accident. And I say again, neither are you an animal. Nor are your children, nor will be their children after them. Even when human beings act like animals, God intended better for us. Indeed, he meant for us to image him, to bear his likeness, and represent him on the earth. This is the clear and unhindered teaching of God's word from the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and we would all do well to hear it, to heed it, to believe it, to teach it, to proclaim it, and to reject any and every teaching that goes against it. And we do this both for our own good, that of our loved ones and all people, as well as for God's greater glory. Now, As I said last Sunday, for the life of me, I cannot fathom why parents would prefer or choose to teach their beautiful children that they are improbably accidental, randomly occurring, high-functioning animals, rather than the God's honest truth, which is they've been deliberately, purposefully, uniquely, and distinctly created by a loving, righteous, holy, and just God to image him, to bear his likeness, and to represent him on the earth. Well, I, I don't want to major on this this morning, what, I mean, what's coming here in a second, because it's worth a series of sermons on itself, and it is foundational to the gospel, and it's also the most familiar to us. But the reason we can't see God as our creator, or even believe in his obvious existence, is sin. And this sin... Let me find my place again. Results in all manner of consequent disorder, including disease and disordered thinking, and yes, eventual physical death. Even so, this goes to the first half of that central truth, number one. We'll look at it here in just a second. Jesus Christ came to save us from condemnation, judgment, and death. Each of these came into play for all of us because of sin. We were lost need to be found, we were sinners, need to be saved, we were spiritually dead, we need to be brought back alive, but I'm focused most intently this time on this occasion on the back half of that central truth, number two, Jesus Christ also came to reclaim and restore us as God's true image-bearing representatives on the earth. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time proving this most fundamental essential existential truth of our human purpose directly from the very text of the Bible. In other words, I want you to see it. 
And I want you to know that you're seeing it. And seeing it, I want you to believe it. And believing it, I want you to do something about it and ask the Lord to show you how. Now, we've seen God's original plan and purpose in our creation, that we image him, bear his likeness, and represent him on the earth in our place and time. I'm trying to say that enough so that you you have it in your sleep tonight. Image him, bear his likeness, represent him on the earth. Yes, we will do that tomorrow when we wake up. Now let's see how Jesus Christ has reclaimed for us and restored to us his kind and deliberate intention for our being, for our lives throughout eternity, and our fruitful ministry in the here and now. Turn with me now, please, to chapter 8 of Romans, chapter, uh, of the book of Romans, chapter 8. Chapter 8, the book of Romans. Did I just say chapter 8 of the chapter 8 of Romans? Romans chapter 8, you knew I'd had to, get, had to get there at some point soon. I haven't been here for a while. But you know that if there was any book of the Bible and any chapter of the book of the Bible that I'd take with me, if I didn't have any other to take with me, it would be Romans chapter 8, for sure. Romans 8 is a majestic treatise on the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the church for the eternal glory of God and the good of his people. And it begins with these rather familiar words of revelation, truth, and life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you know, I always want to say, if there's a therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? And we see just in the, in the um, um, uh, last two verses before chapter 8, chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, this is a good summary of what he's been doing uh, previous to this. We read these words. This is, I want to be very clear here. This is Paul the Apostle writing these words. And he's not writing about some experience that he had before he came to Christ. This it all is written in the present tense continuous. He's speaking about his own experience now as he is writing it. And how do I know that? Well, first of all, it's all in the present tense continuous. But we all have this same experience. If the Holy Spirit is living within us, we know what sin is. We know when we sin, and we have this sense that we are wretched when we do it. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve The law of sin, verse 1, chapter 8. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And you've heard me say before that during that last verse, in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, I'm almost sure the Holy Spirit made made a mistake there. It should say, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Christ... But it doesn't. 
We are to become the very image of Christ on the earth. That's our destiny. That's who we are, at least on the inside, if we're bought by the blood of Jesus and reborn by his spirit. And the question is, are we living that out? I don't mean religiously. I don't mean dutifully. I mean just as a matter of who we are. Just who we are. So here in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, we begin to see the effect of Jesus' perfect and perfectly satisfactory substitution for us in his death. And that effect, that we are no longer under a penalty of condemnation by death, comes in the Holy Spirit. But I also want to pause and note that the condemnation in view here is not only the condemnation of death or hell for sinners, but also all lesser forms of condemnation from our own flesh and minds, from the tongues and judgments of others. Even the devil himself are null and void. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that, that, that informs us, doesn't it? It informs us how we should see each other. That informs us how we should see ourselves. No condemnation if we're in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. That's the pattern. This leads us then to understand and accept Jesus' restoring and reclaiming work in the Holy Spirit as it relates to our identity that is grounded in the very character of Christ. And the first thing I want us to think about Forgot to put that up there for you. <clears throat> First thing I want us to think about in terms of application is this. The Holy Spirit reclaims our unique and distinct human destiny, conforming us back into the eternally perfect image, which I take as character of Jesus Christ himself. We're not talking about a physical image. We're not talking about a picture. We're not talking about looking physically like Jesus or like anyone else. We're talking about his character living his character out in unique and distinct ways. Again, not redundant, I mean both of those things. Unique as human beings, distinct as human beings. Individuals, churches, families, people groups. And when I say conforming us back, back to God's original intention, which was that we would image him without any hindrance free, uh, freely, that we would bear his likeness on the earth and we would represent him on the earth. Back there, that's what I'm talking about. And one of the things Jesus did was he came to restore our imaging of him and our ability to bear his likeness and represent him on the earth. Every generation, though, every generation, and this is important, We've got some young folks here. We've got fewer than we normally do, but I, I really want you to hear this. Every generation, and truly every person and every church, must reorient itself, themselves, ourselves, to the Bible. And what I mean by that is that we must individually, generationally, as a congregation, decide for ourselves what the Bible is and whether we'll accept it as truth, as God's word, as authoritative. We have to decide and we have to accept it as truth. If we don't, then we'll go the way of the world. And every generation, every individual, every people group, 
must make this decision for him, her, and their selves. And I would not be the first to observe that trust in the Bible, adherence to the Bible's teaching, even in the most obviously helpful portions, like, you know, we're created to image God, is waning into obscurity. Well, let's look at the few verses there in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 28, 29, and 30. Now remember, Romans 8 is a majestic treatise on the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the church to work out the effects of Jesus' reconciling us to God on the cross and in the resurrection. And in verse 28, we read these words, and we know. So that's a declarative statement. Who is he talking about? Who are we? We are those who are in Christ. We saw that in verse, verse 1, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus, you are one of the we. And he says here, and we know. Do we? If the Holy Spirit is within us, then yes, we do. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all, work, all things work together for good. Watch the conditions or the qualifications. These are very important. It is not true that God works all things together for good. That is not a true statement. That is a half-truth, and it's false. But we know, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, and we have God's Word here, and we interpret God's Word by God's Word, all of it, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, so those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, God works all things together for good. For those whom he foreknew, so we're talking about beforehand. For means before. Foreknew, what does that mean? Foreknew before what? Well, at least before they were born. At least before we were born. Maybe before we were in Christ. Maybe that's what he means. Either way, we were foreknown before we were known or, or, or knew that we were known. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform or to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now, this is one of those words, predestined, predestination. This is one of those controversial words that people lose their minds over. Don't lose your mind. If God predestined something, step right into it. And what he's talking about here, picture it this. This, this is kind of the way I picture it. I, I picture myself in, in, in two lanes, right? This lane, I am not in God's lane, right? This is his lane and it's going in the opposite direction. I'm lost. I'm going my own way. But I come to Christ. I realize that I'm a sinner because the Holy Spirit has told me so and God's word has told me so and some, some help, folks have helped me along the way. And I realize that i got to go in the opposite direction. Repentance means turning in the opposite direction and to God. It doesn't mean stop, just stopping what you're doing. It means turning in the opposite direction and to God, right? So I turn. Now, for those who are in this lane, which is God's lane, they are in Christ. I'm not yet, but they're, they're in Christ. In this lane, God's destiny for all these people from before eternity began, well, eternity didn't begin, but before time began, eternity past, I should have said, until eternity future, is ordained. 
God has ordained it. And when we step in that lane, guess what? I step into the reality that God has ordained for me. You see that? That's the only illustration I can think of that made any sense to me. So don't lose your mind over being predestined. If God says he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son, then step into it. Amen. Because that's what it says. In order that, that means for the purpose of, he might be the firstborn. Who is he? Christ, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, there it is again. So if you've moved from this lane, going in my direction, which is my way, into God's lane, and we're going in the opposite direction, following after God, then that, that applies to us. So those who, whom he predestined, he also called, called out of death into life. I think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think he's talking about called into ministry or anything like that. He's talking about called from death into life. And those whom he called, he also justified. That is, he made right with God. And those whom he justified, watch this now, he also glorified. Now we're imaging him again. But not in this life, in the next. But one of the major things that Jesus did in his death and resurrection is he purchased back our rights as God's children to image our daddy. That's profound stuff. So, the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus did, reclaims our unique and distinct human destiny, conforming us back to the eternally perfect image or character of Jesus Christ himself. Now turn with me to Romans 11. We're almost done, believe it or not, so don't, uh, don't get nervous on me. I don't have a clock up there anymore, so I can't really tell. I, for a long time, I wanted that big, huge clock that used to be right there taken away, and it was, and it was taken out there in the foyer, and I celebrated. But having a little clock, that's okay. Because I, I know the clock watchers put that really big clock right there where that screen is, right? I, I'm on to you. Second thing I want us to look at briefly is this. The Holy Spirit restores our unique and distinct, remember what I meant by unique and distinct, it's not redundant, I mean them both, our unique and distinct human destiny to worship truly the one true and living God and the sovereign God that is with our whole being, body, mind, soul, and spirit. So, so we get to chapter 11 of Romans, we get right, back, right down to the very last verse, and it's another one of those that there's therefore after it. So we, so we read the, the verse before the therefore, the verse 36, and look at this. From him, or for from him, and through him, and to him, are all things. How many things? All things. To him be glory until tomorrow. Until next week. Or so long as I can live. To him be glory forever. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2. 
Do not be conformed. So we're talking about being conformed, being predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Now we're being instructed in the opposite way. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the Holy Spirit takes God's children as we are bought by his, Jesus' blood and reborn by his spirit. And, 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 and he restores our unique and distinct human destiny to worship the one true living and sovereign God truly. That is, with our whole being, body, mind, soul, and spirit. Do you see that in the text? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed into the image and character of Christ. Finally, turn with me to, to the book of Philippians chapter 3. My main point was in chapter 8 of Romans, as you have probably already figured out. Philippians chapter 3, chapter 17. Now, just, just a bit about background in Philippians. Philippians was written, first of all, to a community largely made up of military retirees. These were non-Romans who earned their Roman citizenship through their long and faithful military service to the empire. And at the end of that service, if they were faithful servants of the empire, they were then, if, if they were fortunate and if they had done the right things, they received Roman citizenship, which was huge. Much bigger than coming from Afghanistan to Canada and getting Canadian citizenship. Much, much bigger than that. And he is saying to these folks who had lived their lives largely for the purpose of getting citizenship of Rome and living in this retirement community, if I could put it that way, in Philippi, of military and other service service, uh, personnel having received their citizenship to Rome, he tells them, after they become Christians, you're not citizens of this world. You're citizens of heaven. Put your eggs in that basket. Verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have been often told of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are not pagans. These are people who became Christians and walked away, or appeared to become Christians, I should say, and walked away. Maybe because they valued their Roman citizenship more than they did their citizenship in heaven, more than they they bowed the knee to Nero or or whoever the particular emperor was at the time, uh, as opposed to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Don't miss the contrast he's making. Your citizenship is not Canadian, Christians, not eternally. Your citizenship is not American, Americans, not eternally. 
or Afghan or Kazakh or French or any other people group or citizenship that you value. Not if you're of Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it, that is from heaven, we, will tra- we, 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 we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform. Here's another aspect of this conforming to the image of God, being, being first created in the image of God, losing, losing that in some sense, or at least losing the full ability to image him, to having that being restored in us incrementally perhaps, little by little as we go, go on through life and the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to, to be more like Jesus than we were yesterday and through God's word. And then finally we meet him in the in, in heaven, whether it's in the air, in the in the rapture, or if it's it's uh, at some time before that, uh, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Then, then we will actually will actually image him both in spirit and in body. We will be like him by the power that enables him even to subject. All things to himself. So we're talking about sovereign grace. We're talking about what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross. It is his will that we image him and that we re-image him uh, in, the, in the end, in the time to come. Well, that's really all I've got. I'll just... I forgot to change the, this, the pointer, didn't I? The Holy Spirit transforms us. To image Jesus Christ and to submit to his, him truly, fully, finally, and eternally. That's the end of the matter today. Jesus Christ came to save us from condemnation, judgment, and death. Jesus Christ also came to reclaim and restore us as God's true image-bearing representatives on the earth. Amen. I wanted you to hear just one little bit more bit from John Piper. I brought the book because I didn't have time to type it in. Listen to this. If the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good in the affections of the heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be duly honored. I'm not pleading for a diminishing of missions, but for a magnifying of God. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the darkest peoples on earth. And I long for that day to come. Where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to, quote, quoting here now, declare his glory among the nations, Psalm 96.3. Even outsiders feel the disparity between the boldness of our claim upon the nations and the blandness of our engagement with God. But worship is the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't command what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, if they cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord, I will be glad and exult in you, I will praise your name, O Most High. Missions begins and ends in worship. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for these, your words. I pray that you would take them.
water them, make them to bear fruit in our lives, in the ministry of this congregation, in our families, and in this world. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating us in your image. Thank you for the ongoing commitment to recreate us, in a sense, in your own image, that we might anew bear your likeness all over the earth and represent you. Thank you, Lord, for each person who is here, each person who's listened, each person who's been on the live stream. I pray, Lord, that you would continue, continue to do your work in us, among us, and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to go away with the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, likely familiar words to us, but, but, but on this topic again. And so I want us to understand how big a deal this is in the Bible, that we are to be the image or the images of God himself. Verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Let's think on that this week. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this truth that we are created in your awesome image. Your, we, we are to bear your character, your likeness, all over the world, all over the earth. And we're to represent you as stewards of your earth as well. We thank you for this awesome responsibility. We thank you for this awesome truth. And may we live it and teach it to our children. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time.